0: When investing at such an early stage, it really, really comes down to to the team. Especially in building AI systems, backing a team that can execute, has the vision, has the technical and the technical chops and technical skills very much married with the business acumen and backing good people
1: who are hustlers.
2: Hi, hey, I'm Esther. And I'm Sean. I write about AI news here at Tech Target in Massachusetts.
1: And I edit as stories.
2: We're here to talk with tech experts about everything AI and ChatGPT.
1: And don't forget about Google Bar.
2: Whether it's who's ahead in the generative AI race, the metaverse, digital twins, or even the latest in autonomous vehicles, we've got it covered. Right, Sean?
1: Yep, we've got it covered.
2: Hello everyone, today we are speaking with Clayda Martiro, partner at Glasswing Ventures, a venture capitalist firm. Clater started her career by studying economics and math at Mount Olio College and interning at tech t- startups. She later worked for a New York startup as a data scientist. During that time, she worked with developers and trained algorithms. She later got her MBA at Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management and later joined Glasswick Ventures in 2019. Within four years, she became partner, which is quite a feat. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast, Cleta.
0: Thank you, Esther. It we was wonderful to be here.
2: So I read a bit of your background, but what really interests me is um, the recent interview I read is that you've always been drawn to AI. So what exactly drew you to the technology?
0: To me, it was the power of technology and what it can achieve. Since my summers and as an undergrad at Mount Holyoke, I I was always drawn to math and the quantitative sciences. And throughout my experiences, I, I had the opportunity to work in various AI startups. Some were very, very small, a couple of folks, some were as big as 10 people, and that's not really big, but that's big in startup land. Um, the, just how the type of automation, the type of making my workflow better, um, how, how you can the concept of creating or making machines think, learn. Um, I found very intriguing, and it was very, very interesting. So when I when I graduated and I started my career as an analyst at Digitas, um, on the side I actually started learning how to code, um, and that's where the more I dug into how problems are being solved, how technology worked, um, I fell in love with it. And since then, I um, I continue to learn more. And it's just, the, the promise that the AI has revolutionized industries um, from, from healthcare to security to infrastructure um, to software development. To me, it's really inspiring.
1: What would you say during those early years, what was, it, what was the biggest learning experience you had as a, working as an analyst or a data scientist um, with, with startups and working with AI algorithms and working with developers?
0: My experience those years was truly incredible. If if I were to pinpoint the biggest learning was the realization of the the, the role of collaboration and communication play in innovation. Um, training AIs is a deeply technical task, but it's isolated, um, so it's it's very much highly dependent on on a cohesive team efforts you have developers, data scientists, business professionals all bringing in different perspectives and skills at the table. So learning to really communicate complex ideas and foster that shared understanding across diverse teams were very crucial. It was very, very crucial. Um, at the same time, I learned the importance of, of iteration. AI development is, is not linear. Um, it's a journey and has its own share of challenges and surprises. So I recall from my time at SocialFlow, we we tested, we iterated, we learned from failures, we celebrated successes. Um, but each algorithm, each model, each tweak was a step forward to define and to refine our understanding and improving our software in, and ultimately delivering real tangible business value to our customers.
2: Uh, that's uh, That's very interesting. Um, I guess the the next question is, uh, you did you had built your time as an analyst and a data scientist, right? So how do you think it relates to the startup market and how it favors the market as a whole?
0: When I look at both of my experiences, I, as an analyst, I was um, I was closer to to the business side of operations. Um, it was it made me realize that AI isn't just about algorithms and models, but it was about delivering tangible value to users addressing real world problems um startups given their they're in limited resources and they need that rapid growth they have to be particularly strategic so in that sense they need to identify market gaps how to leverage ai as a competitive advantage and um so, being in a way, being an analyst, taught me that the importance of aligning those AI projects with clear to align those AI projects with clear business objectives and 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 returns. On the flip side, um, as a data scientist, I really delved deep into the mechanics of AI. As I mentioned, tuning algorithms, ensuring that the models were deployed both efficient efficiently and effectively, and this really underscored the importance of of agility. In, in AI development and the startup environment is dynamic. It has quick pivots, frequent changes in strategy, and that requires AI solutions that can be quickly adapted, quickly scaled, and um, really scraped in response to, to feedback or changing market conditions.
1: Um, so let's move on to Glasswing Ventures. Um, I hate to do this, but Esther, but I want to do a slightly two-part question. Um, this bad habit. but um, so first of all, what kind of startups do you work with at Glasswing? And also, could you walk us briefly through the process like how the the relationship works between the the venture capital firm and the uh, company they invest in? Do you get um, an equity stake in the company? Do you get uh, seats on the board? Are you part of everyday uh, operations and to some extent in terms of uh, um, consulting? Yeah, and and what kind of what kind of startups does Glasswing work with? I, I, I'm not sure if it is it all AI or is it uh, tech across the board.
0: At Glasswing invests in AI-enabled and frontier deck, frontier tech B two B software companies in the enterprise and security markets, as a firmware thesis-driven. So we have built strong conviction around AI since 2016 as part of Glasswing, and then. Our founders, managing partners were investing in AI before it was called AI since 2010. And back then it was predictive analysis, analytics, um, and, and now data science, and now AI. We look. I mentioned that because we have built strong conviction around certain areas where AI could really revolutionize industries. And with that, we have built our thesis at Glasswing. And that thesis is built into two parts connect and protect. Under the connect pillar, we look for startups that are building solutions in that smart data infrastructure layer. Automation as it pertains to specific functions. For, for example, think of automation in software development and, and AI or, or tech. And thirdly, would be vertical applications. So really, solutions that lie at the cross-section of AI in in manufacturing or supply chain. And that's one pillar. The the second one is is what we call protect, and it's all about security. The the main areas within security that we'll look at are the, the emergence of cyber and physical, so cybersecurity and then the emergence of si- and of both. Coordinated defense. We have one portfolio company called Black Kite in that space and um, data governance, compliance, and regulation. And within these, recently we've spent a lot of time in identity and access management. So from a strategic point of view, those are the, um, the main focus areas. When it comes to stage, we invest in seed. Primarily seed, and then we do some pre-seed as well. And what that means, on, on in terms of check sizes, we we look for we invest, we write checks between one to three million. We um, go we we in exchange we ask for a board seat, double-digit ownership, and then we have a whole what we call building partners and platform team that is very 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 much hands-on to help portfolio startups. Um, scale and grow in a, in a healthy and sustainable way. What that means is we have um, domain experts on the team that mirror what a startup C-exec C, C suite looks like. For example, we have a former CMO, Carol Myers, who was a CMO at Rapid7, LogMe and Unica, Shiva, um, and then uh, Vlad Shanoa, he was a CTO at Nuance, For almost two decades and prior to that chief data scientist at Curlswild AI and he was on the team that invented Siri before Siri got acquired by Apple and and so forth. And then we have other that are coming from the revenue side, CROs, multi-time CROs and CPOs. And we've built this team and this structure so we can very much help companies grow and scale fast at this early stage. The, 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 your, your second question, Sean, was how do we help them? We help from introducing them to customers that they are targeting. They are, I would want to mention that we have for Glasswing, 54 exclusive advisors. They're raised from AI luminaries to see executives both on the connect and protect side of the house from Fortune 100, 200, 500 companies. And they are exclusive with us, and we leverage their expertise, their passions, and their network to help portfolio companies. And one facet is finding customers, finding the right people within those firms to to test out ideas and get those launch partners then we'll be recruiting. So we we have placed from zigzag levels to even interns within our portfolio companies. Um, strategic advice at this this early stage you, you need someone you need someone to be a true partner and to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And then when it comes to fundraising, so truly finding we invest in seed, as I mentioned. So finding partners that can lead or invest in the next rounds of financing so A's B's and so on we we serve as a true partner we get involved as much as the startup wants us to get involved and we step aside when when we need when they don't need our help um, but we're very much founder first they're part of our extended family, it's it's it, we help as much as we can help and they we help as much as our our executives want us to help um, and and coming from that space i absolutely love that the relationships we've built with our portfolio
2: I kind of want to ask a couple of follow up questions and then also a couple of clarification questions just for people who might not understand what seed, pre seed, and all of that means. If you can just clarify that. And then I think maybe this is down below, but I wanted to bring it up because you're talking about um, how involved you get. So, what exactly does a startup? How exactly do you approach a startup or how does the startup approach you? Because like it seems like you're sometimes you are as involved as from the beginning of like the startup is just starting, I have an idea, or perhaps just like in the middle. So if I'm is it just like, oh I have an idea and I'm thinking of a startup, or do I already have to have a team, do I already have to have a product? How exactly does that work?
0: I'll define seed and pre seed. As I mentioned, we do seed, so at that point, a lot of startups have either have received some capital or not before. Typically how the, the stages are, are shaping out to be today is that you have that family and friends, accelerator rounds, pre-seed round, seed, and then A, B, C, and onwards. At the seed, we typically see startups that are, have a team, have, um, have tech, have a product, and um, have a couple of design partners or early, early customers. So they've proven that, that there is a pain point in the market and they, have, they are building and have built a technology that is unique, technically unique and differentiable to what's in the market already to address these, these pain points and to drive business value. And th- what comes with that is also very well understanding of what the market looks like and what the competitive landscape looks like. So typically, that's that's the stage that we see. We we will we will look at startups. Um. So how do we approach sourcing? <laughs> I think I yes, said that's that's what uh, you were getting at. The it is very multi-pronged and multi We have we have our network that re- reaches out to us. So for example founders, repeat founders for, for, for Glasswing, or repeat founders for our partners, that they, they, they exit their company and they start something new and they come to us, as we're the first capital in, so we're their first call. There are friends of those, of existing executives who are starting something in an X, Y, Z, so we'd have, actually this past weekend, one of my founders called me and said, hey, a buddy of mine is starting something in, in, this, interest, in this industry. Um, would you be open to chatting with him? Um, So those type of relationships. We have um, our advisors and our collective network that also refers um, startups to us. And at the same time, um, we, given how early we are, we actually build very strong relationships with ecosystems. So we have very much presence at MIT, Harvard, Northeastern, um, Boston College, Tufts, um, I'm sh- Boston University, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of universities there because Boston is so rich in that sense. For, and also my, my own alma mater, Mount Holyoke and, and Kellogg, so very much tap into what's happening at the, at the inception within this, uh, within this uh, campuses. And then we do our own um, outreach. So internally, we have built a programmatic system, AI system, um, to truly understand what um, the startups that will will need funding, and um, how do we outreach? And we do our own out or we do our own outreach for that as well. So as you can see, it's. It's a very, very um, multi pronged one thing. I also want to mention is um, VC, so the ecos the VC ecosystem. So typically, later stage VCs who see something early that is um, really good, they refer it to us, or even early stage VCs who see something that's pat, like pre seed they see something that's um, later for them, they-, they pull us in. So. That that ecosystem is is very valuable to finding, to, to sourcing the right companies as well.
1: So you're investing pre-seed and seed. Um, they're very small companies at that stage. So what's the likelihood that they're going to succeed? I mean, what's the, and also what's the risk uh, to you as a firm and obviously to them putting their, you know, their life's work and their resources into this? but um so is it so then what criteria goes into your selection process to give you the best chance of and then the best chance of succeeding at some level at least maybe going on to the uh, uh series a round or whatever
0: when investing at such an early stage it really really comes down to to the team so Finding or backing a team that has, especially in building AI systems, backing a team that can execute, has the vision, has the technical and uh, technical chops and technical skills, very much married with the business acumen, and backing good people who are hustlers um, is truly, truly kind of what makes it at this stage. The and, and, and that is it says very much learning how to read people, learning how to build, build relationships. and um, in a way, betting on that is like the very, very first it comes down to people. Then it's about the technology. As I mentioned, we're very much focused on AI and frontier tech. So we want to understand not just Gen AI, but just there are so, so, so many facets of AI, and Gen AI just one sliver of it. Um, so understanding what the technology can do, how is it being trained, what data, what is is being used what is, are, are the founders really knowledgeable about the state of our technology? How are they leveraging what's already available and what are they building on top of that? So how to really make it um, unique and differentiable. And then from there, how do you actually scale it? Technology might be great for the early stages for like your your friend is a customer, or, or your previous coworker is a customer, but you really need to understand if you're selling to the enterprise, you want to understand how technology scales with huge amounts of data, big numbers, and teams using it. So, what is the approach and roadmap there? Um, and then from there, it's, it's going to market. I think the biggest risk here is finding at this stage is making sure that you're finding product market fit, um, get, getting that repeatability use case to to make sure to understand that this are this is the right person I'm selling to from a from a go to market with a go to market hat. This is the right person I'm selling to within this specific industry. This is my champion. This is my buyer. This is my user, and this is how I'm driving value for this company or this potential customer so truly figuring that out the repeatability use case and the um sorry figuring out the repeatability and what the use case is and who your buyer user and advocate or champion is within those potential customers i think that in a way defines product market fit And that's where um, typically once companies get to the A, they need to have figured that out. And of course, the biggest risk is they need to raise the next round of capital, so they need to have cash.
2: (laughs) I'm sure that um, perhaps not all of the companies you invest in are successful, right? So what happens when that happens, right? When they don't necessarily yield have the success that perhaps they think they're going to have, or you think that they might have, or, oh, they don't, they just don't don't yield a uh, a return on the investment.
0: We've been so far in our, in my experience, in my journey with Glasswing, we're we're still pretty young, so we haven't seen those yet. But the um, typically, as I mentioned, I've talked about how close we are with our founders. So, and we're very transparent and that relationship allows us to have very transparent conversations when we all agree that a um, a startup is not is not going to to achieve their goal for because of a reason or another. We we prune those companies and we actually land them. We help um, find a banker. We we help find a home for those startups. We've never ever ever. It's not in our ethos to let a founder high and dry and be like, whoops, this is this happened. We have other companies we need to take care of. This is not how we work and it's just it's just not not in good spirit, not in good um, spirits. So we, we find a home for those companies. We make sure the founder is getting taken care of. We've, we make sure that the team is being taken care of. Um, and that is, is credited to, to our, just our team's connections in the ecosystem and an ability to, to drive that process along with the founder.
1: Okay, so this question is a little little convoluted. Um, Esther's working on a story right now actually about um, this new emerging uh, format in which huge tech giants like Microsoft invest in uh, you know, AI research labs like OpenAI, and then uh, Amazon has done the same with Anthropic to a certain extent, Uh, Oracle has done it with Cohere. So the old model used to be, you know, when DeepMind, Google, DeepMind was growing and they were acquiring lots of little AI startups, putting it together. Uh, So is Microsoft. So is Google. But now it seems to us like the age of the smaller AI acquisition is kind of over. And every AI startup thinks it can be the next open AI or something like that's in the generative AI field anyway. So... What, how does that change the landscape for your, for VC strategy, uh, investing in startups when every startup thinks, no, we don't want to go five years and get acquired and make that a lot of money. We want to be, we want to be, get bigger and bigger and bigger and become a $20 billion company. So how does that change your role? If you accept our our thesis.
0: So we, we have a very slight different thesis as to how we see that space, Um, Sean, we, we look at this, I'll focus with Gen AI because that's how this all started. Within generative AI, we have built our own three-layer thesis where the first bottom layer, we have the foundation models. And the foundation models are the, what well, you mentioned, the the and, and anthropic, open AI, cohere. And those are, the equivalent of the Amazons and Googles in, in in early 2000s for us though the foundation models are, will very much take the form of the um a oligop, oligop, oligopoly no how do you say that um monopoly of the, the the monopoly where you have these big winners but those are not um those are not startups per se because their their seeds did you know, or they seed round did not look like a seed round um, and at the same time, they require a lot of compute, a lot of resources, large PLs backing them. So you see a lot of these big companies invest. So we are shying away from those open source or closed source large models. Then moving on to the next stage, we or the next layer, we have that metal layer. Where the metal layer, you that, that serves as the picks and shovels of, 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 of the Gen AI boom there will be the next data bricks for example and in that layer we see prompt engineering we see companies um building and fine-tuning model orchestration um a lot of those like how do you link the foundation model with the the next layer what the application layer and here this this layer here is is crowded today. Is nascent, very very nascent, and there will be a few winners there. The third pro or the third layer is the application layer, and that's where we believe most of the opportunities lie. Um, the of course, then you have a lot of the kind of vertical, what we call vertical or end-to-end applications, where you have. Companies like one of ours, Common Sense Machines, that is building an application, their own middle layer and tooling, and then their own um, foundation model that's being built on top of existing models today. And that is what we call end to end layer. So, this is how we see the, the whole gen AI landscape today and there's so so much opportunity for builders to build AI technologies and for investors to invest in 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 AI startups that truly will have um outsized and successful returns
2: so speaking of um generative AI right You've been in the industry um, since before we had this whole boon in the generative AI space. How would you say, like, you've seen? What's the biggest difference you've seen when it comes to generative AI and where we are today,
0: from a technical perspective of just role? Technical perspective. Gen AI has been transformative in many ways. Just the the the, the scale of the technology and the compute power and and the the ability that it has to mimic um human conversations um, is truly transformative the to me that's been and it like the one of the biggest most transformational um, tech driver this technology has been around for many years it's um the mass consumerization of it as well completely changed the landscape so in in that sense it has absolutely opened many many new avenues and doors both for builders and founders to to build new solutions and for investors to look for um, how are these technologies transforming literally every industry out there the the new the new form of communication is through chat and search these days Um, so it it even changed our behavior on a day-to-day so with that sense I'm very very excited about what's to come and um, how how will the landscape look from a year from now?
1: That being said, what's your biggest? What would be your advice to, you know, maybe somebody coming out of uh, Mount Holyoke or MIT or BU, and trying to start a startup? So and, and and looking for funding, and they have some tech and they have a idea for a product. So what what would you tell them if they were really new to this but look promising? What kind of advice would you give them?
0: I'd be to surround themselves with the right the right mentors and the right people. And that is v- way harder um, said than done. But not every problem needs, not not every solution needs gen AI. They may need so many other forms of AI. Um, so do your homework in that sense. Look at the market. Talk to talk to your mentors. Talk to your if you're a PhD, um, your 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 advisors. And then, I always I'm I'm always up for talking to, to to founders who are just having an idea and starting and thinking about how to start or how to go about starting a new a, a new company. Um, I I love talking to founders at that that early stage because the The chance is that I probably know somebody, or we know somebody that I can put in touch that they can they can help each other with, or I can introduce them to a an enterprise that has looked at this company at this pain point before, so they may provide them a different um, a different perspective. Surrounding yourself to a lot of people just adds to the tribal knowledge of the problem, who's the buyer, technology, how to build it, and you, you build those long-term partnerships as well.
2: So I want to go back to something that you mentioned before, um, which is you mentioned the three layers, and you said basically the third layer is where you see an opportunity. I, mean, I wanted to go back to the second layer where you said it, if you felt, feel like it's kind of crowded, right? Is that correct?
0: Uh, two things. I would say the, the application layer is where most of the opportunity is, and the metal layer is, is crowded right now, but it's extremely nascent.
2: Okay, um, what, how do you think that might shape out in the, as we're going through in the future?
0: Honestly, it very much depends on what also the foundation layer and the application layer um, or solutions in those layers do. Because you will have a lot of companies today, for example, in the metal layer, where they will just get commoditized because the foundation model providers will provide it for free. And then you have the application layer. You have a lot of companies that will build their own metal tooling. So, for example, I've seen companies that build their own agents um, and, and so agent-specific tasks. Agents are in that metal layer. They're a, picks, a part of the picks and shovel <laughs> toolkit to to, to to drive the solution or to, to solve the problem. So, in that sense. We need to see how these two kind of the bottom and the or the top and the bottom layers will behave in order to very well understand what the metal layer will do. But at the same time, the metal layer is very important because it's it really serves as a channel to drive that um, to make applications happen. Um, we've seen we've seen a lot of solutions that were started in the Q one Q two of this year that um, that got in a way unfolded under the foundational layer. Langchain, the open source community, is huge as well. So keeping an eye on what's happening there. So it's, it's still very early to predict who the winner will be because of these two reasons. But one thing that um, I'm observing is that there is, there's companies very much entering the metal layer, but then exiting very quickly because of those two reasons.
2: I think I wanted to just go back quickly to the idea of, like, AI-enabled, right? So can you define that? Especially because I know that there are a lot of... When I spoke to your founder, uh, CEO, sorry, Rosina, she was talking about the idea of, like, not every problem needs to be solved
0: with AI. So how do you, like, I guess, weed those out? It's true. Not every problem needs to be solved with with AI. It's, for example, I will touch on um, a company of ours, Retrocausal, um, where they're an AI and computer vision enabled for manufacturing. Is manufacturing, that like, has a true pain point of um, how do you automate that assembly process? There are, today how it's done is basically you have a, um, in order to put things together in the assembly line, um, workers have just a laminated piece of paper that tells you how to build something, truly the nuts and bolts, um, and that's extremely outdated. You're using a piece of paper and the human eye as the measure to build things together. And those things can be medical devices, the um, the, the 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 piece of an aircraft arm, really really impactful things. That if you put it wrong, then the the, the the, the consequences are detrimental. So, it, using a great computer vision technology to optimize a workstation to help the worker and then to audibly and visually tell them that, hey, what you're doing right now is wrong, so put it well together. So, when it goes down to the next station and the next person, um, you know it's, it's getting done right and you don't. You don't go down to the QA and then say, okay, it's wrong, and then come back again. And at the same time, you're solving the problem that um, the the workforce in manufacturing is actually, um, few, more people are leaving the, the industry than are coming in. So you're dealing with who are the workers and who are the skilled workers to really address this, um, this problem. And then how do we train existing workers? So it's a very tough dynamic, but with the right technology, anyone can come in and say, I will do this job for, um, for the day, and then because I know that I don't need to trust my, my tired eye anymore or follow the steps of this laminated piece of paper, the the, the retrocausal will tell me how to best optimize my workspace and how to put things together the right way, and I will not make mistakes. Um, So in that sense, it's extremely powerful. Um, There are other solutions that, um, as Rina mentioned, you you don't need as, the, the, the ROI of embedding AI in a solution may not be as may not be as high um, as one can do it by hand or or other ways. So, but typically we we only look at AI solutions. So I'm very much looking at opportunities with that eye.
2: So, um, what's your budget for um, each year?
0: Well, so typically we we work in funds. So Glasswing's first fund was 112 million. Glasswing's second fund, which we raised last year is 158 million and um, out of so out of that 58 a portion of it goes to Glasswing as a firm so our operation expenses, our salaries and all of that and then majority of it of course goes to investments and how those work is we write as I mentioned before, checks between one to $1 to three million dollar checks and then, for founders, we keep very, very healthy reserves for follow-on investments. So we lead, co-lead, the seeds, and then we participate in their next rounds as much as we can. So by healthy reserves, we mean around like two x, three x. So it's 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 very unique to Glasswing because we're very disciplined and very concentrated, and really back the founder and support them through their life, through the life of the company. So that allows for Glasswing to invest between roughly 20 companies in this this fund. And typically the lifetime of the fund itself is about 10 years.
2: How do you fund your fund?
0: Our investors are limited limited partners, LPs. Um, They range from institutional investors, endowments, pension funds, family offices and it's keeping that in mind actually it's it's very um it's very interesting to us because at the end of the day when when you think about it we are funding for example if an endowment or pension fund comes so on truly we're trying to Pick right, back the right founders, technology, with the hope that we are returning, we are doing good, good and well, as Rudina says, because we are returning that investment on pension funds. So at the end of the day, it, it's always that that big vision that we are also helping very different groups, endowments. A lot of the, a lot of the schools, a lot of financial aid comes from endowments. So m- making kind of making the right investments will help those schools in particular to allow more students to join who don't have the – or to, to, to be accepted to schools who don't have the means to pay for the school. So the, the, the whole big vision of why I do and why we do, other than the technology and the, the, what it's doing to industries, it's very – we're doing also good and well in, 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 in the larger big picture of things.
1: Okay, I have one more question. I think we're probably going to close out after that. Uh, this is more personal in terms of your day-to-day work at the company. I'm curious, like, how busy are you? I know you had to stop your Slack messages from coming in. Like, how many, how many founder groups are you working with at any t- per, uh, given time in your personal portfolio? And then, so you're doing so much. You're helping advise them. You're arranging financing. You're... Um, Looking for new ones, you're attracting other investors, so it must be like a, a twelve-hour-a-day job.
0: Minimum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you just talk a little bit about like how do you manage all that uh, different parts of the business, and and how many clients would be in your por- a typical VC's uh, portfolio?
0: It's it's definitely a, a busy, busy uh, the job, but I, I I love I love what I do. It's as you mentioned, Sean. I have. So many more companies in this age of AI, pitching, and just looking at new companies is completely the, the volume of sourcing is just the highest it's been. So that it's very I love it. I love talking to founders. At the same time, within our portfolio, it's not every portfolio needs help at the same time. So that also it's a good balance that comes with the nature of it. There are some. It's always who's the, who is the, the, the focus of the day, for example, today, and then how do you manage those, um, my day has no hours, my, my weekends have no hours, um, I'm always on the phone, um, I'm always, I'm always talking to people, even, um, even my social circle is very much intertwined with my professional circle, some of my really good friends are in VC, some of my really good friends are founders, so, um, it's, it's it's but I, I love it though. Um, I don't know how I balance all of it. <laughs> I, I, I can't give you the right answer there because I don't know how to balance all of it. But all I know is that I'm always I'm always learning, I'm always being challenged. Um, there's not one day that I get bored, um, and I love that. Um, I'm always meeting smart folks um, who are changing industries, and that's extremely inspiring and rewarding. And um, that just makes me want to push forward more and, and and continue doing what I'm doing.
1: Well, um, Clay, thank you so much. You're our first uh, investor Venture Capitalist to be on our podcast. So congratulations. That was uh, You were so interesting and uh, such a cool job. And so um, to our listening public... You can check out this podcast on uh, Targeting AI on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon, Google, all the other podcast platforms, Podbean, and also on Tech Target News. Come and listen to our Targeting AI I- I podcast, and um, maybe Clayton, we can have you back again next year and see how successful you were this past year. <laughs> but anyway, appreciate your time so much.
0: Absolutely, thank you both.
2: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Please remember to share on your favorite social media platform and leave a review. For more on today's topic, please check out the Tech Target news website.